thank you, Mr. Meredith. Give me some other titles I will accept. <laughs> if it's good, of course. You know, it's interesting because as I heard Mr. Meredith announce, you know, a few things, when I look back, we had so many memories, really. And, in fact, that's part of my sermon because of the fact what made and make some of us stick to what we believed. And what made some of the people who are close to you, they just didn't stay. Why? You know, what makes anyone be sure of one's belief? I ask you the question, are you really sure that what you believe is what you really practice? Is there anything in the world that could Take, make you turn away from what you have learned from the very beginning. You know, as Mr. Metin mentioned, we have been together for so long, and we have seen people come and go. I've seen tremendous friends come and go. Why? They knew it, but what did, they, what did make them sort of a waver or change? So my question to you is, is there anything in the world that could really shake your beliefs. That could make you turn away. That would make, make say, well, I'm not quite sure. Think about it because of the fact, you see, this waving of not being sure is what starts, starts people turning away, turning away, turning around, looking for something else. The question is, what are you looking for? You'd be surprised if you ask the question, really, you are looking something that you really want to, humanly speaking, carnally speaking. Because you have given from the Bible, from the sermons, from the church, all the things you need to be convinced. But most of the time you want to convince your own human nature. And that's what's happening to, has happened to some of our people. Let me tell you something about few well, a short time ago, I met a man who is no longer with us. He was. So I talked to him. I said, well, what made you turn away? You know what his answer was? I don't know. I said, well, what do you mean you don't know? Well, I'm still searching. I said, you're searching what? I don't know. I said, were you happy with us? Yeah. Were you happy now? I don't know. Look at the attitude. So this is what I'm talking about. If you have this type of an attitude, brethren, you're in trouble. In other words, you have to be convinced. So this, my frankly speaking, what he was looking, he was looking for something that he himself would like, with which he would agree. He'll be happy with something that would, would perhaps satisfy his carnal ego, carnal mind. Well, brethren, that's not the way. Certainly not. You have to know one thing, brethren. If you have this type of an attitude, it's very unlikely that you will enter God's kingdom. Now, this man said, I have faith. God will guide me. I said, my friend, you don't have faith. Let me show you something. That's perhaps that's where we should start the sermon. In James chapter 1. James 1 is an eye-opener for people like him or people like us because of the fact James tells us exactly what is faith and how you can please God. You heard in the sermon how to please God, but you see, look what James says about the very subject we have over here. James 1 verse 5, If any of you says lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives all liberally, without reproach, and will be given, but let, look at this, verse 5, verse 6, but let him ask in faith, with no doubting. Now this man was doubting. I don't know about you. I don't know about any one of us. Do you really doubt that what you're learning here, what you're hearing here, is not the truth? Do you have any any any? Ideas as to what else you could do to find the truth? 
Let's continue. He says, For he who doubts is like, I like, I like, I like this one, a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the winds. It's a beautiful statement, you know. Think of it. Are you really just driven by the wave of the sea? Sort of wavering, as this man was, or is, I don't know. Because some of us, that's exactly where we are. We still, after all the things we hear, after all the things we have done or said or seen, we still are still wavering, like a wave of the sea. Brethren, that's my subject if you want to, but you see, the question is this. What really makes you a strong Christian? People have asked me time and again, what are the things, perhaps is the thing that you are most impressed with Mr. Armstrong? What is the, what do all the experience Mr. Merritt had, I had, what impressed me most? I'll tell you. The very things I'm talking about. He was convinced of what he believed. You could never shake him. You know, he would, he would just say, wait a moment, do you know what you believe? And so there it goes. And he has said time and again, if all of you left, I will finish the job. Now that's what we're talking about. And I'm sure, with all respect to my friend, Mr. Meredith, he has the same attitude. I mean, that's what it is. You cannot say he doesn't believe what he's preaching. He knows. And he wants us, as Mr. Armstrong, to make us understand, look, be sure what you believe, and then nothing should really move you anymore. Because of the fact, brethren, there's plenty in this world that will distray us. That will make us wavering like the wave of the sea. There's much. Satan is certainly there to help us in that respect. Okay, as a sermon today, I would like to ask you a question. Because it's a question that I've been asked time and again when, when I preach so often, let's say, in the past, especially with the public lectures. People say, what's your religion? Okay, what, how do you answer? If someone asks you, what is your religion, how would you answer? Would you say you're a Christian? No good. They are Christians too. Would you say you believe in the Bible? Well, doesn't satisfy because they too believe in the Bible their own way. You're, you're open for argument anyway and you haven't really been able to answer the question. So, really, what is your religion? Interesting because James told you about the faith. Let me finish by the start of perhaps chapters, chapter 1, verse uh, 6. It says, Let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For, look at this, verse 7, for let not that, let, let, let uh, no one suppose that he will receive Anything, look at this. You pray, you ask God, whatever you have in mind, whatever you need. He says, not anyone suppose that he will receive anything from God if he's double-minded, unstable, and in all his ways. There it is. So your prayers are not answered or you have some difficulties in life. The fact is that probably you are just wavering. And you are not really convinced. So what, my question is, what is your religion then? What do you want to, to find? In the same book, James, in the same chapter, chapter 1, James answered the question. He says, verse uh, 26, If anyone among you thinks he is religious, that's an interesting word, Religious. What does religion mean? Well, let's, let the Bible answer that question. It says, if anyone thinks that he's religious and does not, well, bridle his tongue. Now, that's, uh, it's strange the way he's starting the very subject. Bridle your tongue. Do you bridle your tongue? You know, do you know what to say, what not to say, how to keep things, let's say, for yourself? More damage has been done in the church by the tongues, 
we, we have use, but not otherwise. Because we talk too much. Time and again we say, look, read the book of Proverbs. And there is so much said in the book of Proverbs. Say, look, think what you say. Pray before you speak. Don't say something which is not good. I'm just paraphrasing. I mean, that's the idea. So you see, true, true religion, that makes you really stick to the truth. What requires to, to, to bridle your tongue. Ask God daily to just help you to know what to say, what not to say. How to keep your mouth shut. And your mind too, of course, at the same time. And then he says, uh, the tongue which deceives his own heart. And says, this one's religion is useless. Strange. That's first proof he gives you that if you don't know how to manage your tongue, your religion is useless. That's wrong, isn't it? That's what makes people waver. And then he goes on. He says, pure religion and, and defied religion before God is, and the father, of course, is that you visit the orphan. You know what? The ones who need you. The ones who are lonely. Orphans and the, and the widows in their trouble and keep oneself unspotted from the world. It, I, my, I won't enter into all these things, but you see, this is what pure religion is from the Bible point of view. And of course, we have to keep God's commandments. That's fine. That's, that's part of it. You can't practice love unless you are practicing what James says over here. So, brethren, I ask you once again, if someone asks you the question, what is your religion, would you, would you just say, this is my religion? Is this the way you would define it? If you are convinced of it yourself, I don't think anything can make you turn away from God's truth. You know what religion means, really? I mean, etymologically, just the, just the, the just meaning, root. It means it binds together. You cannot separate. So if you have the true religion James is speaking about here, then you cannot be separated from it. As I said, time and again, I've seen so many of my friends come and go. And some of them, they don't realize that, look, you will never find what you want, humanly speaking. You will never find a perfect church. No way, because we are too carnal. You will never find, let's say, a perfect minister, far from it. Okay, we're all doing the best. But as we do the best, if, if, as you have your mind in this, convince that, look, you are being truly religious from the Bible point of view, controlling your mind, controlling your words, obeying God, and also helping those who are in need, you are on your way to success. It's interesting because of the, of the fact in the Old Testament, it's also, you can find definition of true religion in different ways. Let me show it to you. Uh, Micah chapter 6. He's saying here the same thing in a different way, defining in a way the true religion. Micah chapter 6. Verse uh, 8. He says, God has shown you, he says, O oh man, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you. There it is. That's my, what, does, what, God, what does God want me to do? What's my religion that I should have so that we be pleasing in his eyes? So that's the sense, brethren. We have not asked that question often enough. We don't think of those things. We are so entangled in our own daily words or perhaps desires that we are no longer convinced as we were long ago as the time of, let's say, Pasadena in the college. At least not as much as we should be today. Practically over there, that's what we hear day and, day and night, practically. 
We were convinced, we were determined, we're going to finish it, we're going to do the job. That was our first goal. When you lose that first goal, brethren, you are wavering. So it's high time that we all of us go back and take things seriously because you hear, you hear from here, this pulpit here, how we are close to the end. We haven't seen the end yet, but I think we're going to be surprised, very much surprised as to how the end is going to be tough. Look, read Matthew 24. You know, I was in Europe when we had Second World War. I was spared. I saw the sufferings. I saw some of these torturing furnaces. And some people said, well, there is no such thing as Holocaust. But anyway, I saw that. When I come back to Matthew chapter 24, he says that before the return of Jesus Christ, things will be such as they had never been as far as the sufferings are concerned. The, first, the, the worst sufferings. That was bad. Not the worst is ahead of us. So unless we have this conviction, unless we know that God is with us, is going to help us and guide us, and he is, he is, but unless we act that way, live that way, we may deceive ourselves and we might let some people just make us turn away. That's what happens. People say, why? Why so-and-so left the church? Well, look, the answer is always simple. If you are not convinced, if you're not really sure, you better get down on your knees and ask God, look, God, please show me. Fast, if it be. But don't waver, because you will never, I repeat, never find the perfection you're looking for, because that does not exist on the human level. God will lead you to it, if you surrender to his will. In uh, the Old Testament, Old Testament, as I said, you will find the same truth. It says, Hosea chapter 6, verse 8. He says, uh, so what does God require of you? Do justly, interesting, justly in whose eyes? In God's eyes. All of God's commandments are, are just. So you see, do what God says. Obey Him. Do justly. It's the same thing. Visiting the widows. Helping the orphans. Bridling your tongue. That's justly. And it says, to love mercy. How many sermons have we, have we had on this subject? Mercy is both ways. If you're going to ask God to be merciful toward you, be sure you are also merciful. Let me just make one detour here. Matthew chapter 6. You all know by heart. But that's, mercy is conditioned. In other words, if you don't have it, don't ask God for it because he won't give it to you. Simple. Here, Matthew chapter 6, when disciples asked him how to pray, and among other things, he says, look, this is the way you should pray. He says, verse 12, And forgive us our debts, or be merciful to us, as we forgive our debtors, as we are merciful toward others. It's an Old Testament, New Testament. And some of us are not convinced because we have not forgive, forgiven. To some of us, forgiveness only comes once a year at the time of Passover. Even then. Brethren, we have too much of this human carnal nature in us. Too much we just, you know, we don't forgive. We see the faults with other people. By so doing, we are, we are wavering in our own beliefs. We look per, for perfection, let's say, we don't see it, and we turn somewhere else, and somewhere else you will not find it. You cannot even find in God's Bible, God's way of thinking, getting close to him, his church, his people, that try to be a light. This man I was talking to about, he said, well, I don't find the love I'm looking for. I said, my friend, why can't you be yourself a light? Why do you have to look for in someone else? Oh, well, finish. That's what makes us wavering. And then, back to Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 
10, I guess, yeah, 10, again shows the same definition of true religion. Deuteronomy chapter 10. Verse 12. God is speaking to you and to me here in the Old Testament, the, our forefathers. Is, and now it says, Israel, what does the Lord your God requires of you? Same question. What's your religion? What's true, really, definition of religion? Mike answered, here have, you have back in Deuteronomy, God speaking toward Moses, toward, uh, through Moses, he says, what does your God require of you? But to fear the Lord, fear means obey, respect, do his, do his will, to walk in his ways. You know, you have heard sermons, walking with God, walking with God, not only talking. And then love, love him, to serve the Lord with all your God, all your, all your heart, all your soul. Do you see any, anything different here from what I've been saying? You know, it's, there's no doubts here. There's no sort of saying, well, do halfway. It's all the way or nothing. That's what it says. You have to love your God with all your heart, all your mind. And there's no place for wavering. As Christ, when he combined the two, the Ten Commandments into two sections, he said, with all your heart. All your mind, you have to love God and your neighbor. That's what we're talking about, brethren. You know, it isn't hard. It's hard, of course, if you want the things your way. But frankly, to understand the Bible is very simple. It's uh, accepting it which is hard. Because sometimes the Bible will tell you to do things which you may not like what we call justice, or humanly speaking. Look at what God says in Isaiah chapter 64. Remember, God acts, uh, wants us to act justly. Justly in whose eyes? In God's eyes. Because humanly speaking, our justice is nothing. Look at this. Isaiah chapter 16, verse uh, 6. He says, but we are, we, said, we, we are like unclean things. So all of our righteousness, it says, is like what? Like filthy rags. That's what we are. That's what your human mind, human justice, human ways are. That's why some people waver. That's why we are sure. You know, there's one being, it's always there, to see to it that you will fail. That's Satan. God is there to protect you, but Satan is also on the other side. God will never allow Satan to do anything to you unless you want to surrender to Satan. So don't let Satan win. Doubts will push you towards Satan. Faith will move you toward God. So when you have some doubting ideas or wavering like the the wind, the sea, the waves. If that happens, come back again to the true religion. What do I believe in? Why do I shake? Because of the Satan will sit with that, you will really fail. And he will not succeed so long as you are close to God and keep this attitude. Humility. To me, one of the most important subjects on any sermon is humility. In Proverbs chapter 15, verse 33, it's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. He says, humility, or, or rather, honor precedes humility. Honor precedes humility. We are all shooting for honor. God's kingdom, what, what greater honor can you have? Imagine, we've been God's kingdom his children, but before you get to that point, humility should be what you need. All of us. Therefore, you always remember, humility precedes honor. All right? Let's continue with this very interesting subject because of the fact 
practically speaking, if we are convinced, nothing will shake us. We won't be just wavering. I don't care what anyone will tell you or what they will tell you to convince that they are in the wrong, you are in the wrong place. If you have this type of an attitude, nothing will shake you. I get calls plenty. Why so-and-so left the church? I said, forget about so-and-so. Be sure that you know what you believe and you believe what God says and to stick to it. it that, what helps you? You cannot help someone else if that someone else is not asking for your help, but you've got, but you got to help yourself if you just turn to God and ask Him to just guide you. You have to be convinced. As I said, nothing could have shaken Mr. Armstrong in his beliefs. Same thing with Mr. Meredith. You can't. You know he cannot say. He will not change. And he's right. That's what we should be. You see, brethren, unless you have that conviction, that determination, you cannot finish the battle. It's a battle against Satan. And we will win. Let me just take one example, which you know by heart, in the Old Testament. I don't know how more convinced you can be. It's Daniel chapter 3. Now here, we have a similar case. We are facing difficult days ahead of us. Here we have, in Daniel chapter 3, three Hebrews. You know the story. I won't read everything, but I would like to see, show you what determination is, what conviction is. Here we have three courageous men, God had called, and these men are serving God in a way. They have a charge with a king who is not, of course, converted. But they are serving. And then the king finally, which is very bad, of course, it goes to his head and just makes, makes a decree. Nebuchadnezzar, he wants everyone to worship him. I'm paraphrasing. He builds a golden image. He wants everyone to worship him or pay the penalty. What type of a penalty? <laughs> you're going to not only okay, I mean, get, I mean, die, but you'll be really burned in a very hot furnace. Okay, now, how convinced are they should be? How convinced would you be if you had to face a challenge like this? Either you change your beliefs or you face a hot furnace. You know, to me, it shows, it shows determination. So look at those, the answer those three men gave. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, verse 16. Daniel 3, verse 16. So they told us, he says, O king, he says, we don't have to answer you. He said, see, that only one want to answer the question, all right? You want to kill us? Go ahead. Look at that faith, that strong Determination, the will. It says, we have, uh, verse 17, if he says that is the will of God, or the case that God will, God whom we serve, said they will deliver us because they are convinced God will deliver them. But, it's interesting, even if it doesn't, we still will not change. We still will not do what you say. That's what we're talking about. See, brethren, some of us have not come to that point. Faith is when you know God is going to come to your rescue at all times. But suppose you didn't. Then you still stick close to God. You still do what He says. That's what we're talking about. And some of us, maybe most of us, I don't know, haven't reached that point. You know, the rest, rest of the story, I don't have to read. I mean, you're facing... A situation, there's no way out. So the king, as you see, allows them to be thrown into the furnace. You know the rest story, right? You can read it. And later on he comes and says, wait a moment. We threw three people in the furnace and there are four. Christ is there. See, brethren, we read those things, we don't pay attention. We don't believe that those things also are true today. Maybe we don't have the exact examples but we have so many examples. Yet so many people doubt because of the fact something 
that they wanted to happen didn't happen. I remember long ago in Belgium, there was a lady very, very much interested in the Bible. He liked this, he liked the sermons, he liked the broadcasts and so forth. He said, Mr. Apartheid, says, I know you people have the truth, I know you're the church, but... Okay, what was that but? He says, the Bible says that you are to preach the gospel around the world. You are not doing it. This was back in 1975-76. says, unless you preach the gospel around the world, as a witness, as the Bible says, I cannot be in your church. See? That is what interesting because if God says that we should do something, we do it, he will give us the means. I said, look, I said, I know we are not doing it. The doors are closed, but in due time, God will open the doors. At that time, I had no idea what internet was. I wish there were. I could have said, here it is, we're doing it. Today, we can do it, we're doing it. Today, there are no doors closed before us. Back then, there were no doors open. There was no way of entering all these countries in Asia or in Africa, whatever it is. So, she did not come with us. She could have. She had a wonderful attitude here otherwise. Because of the fact we were not doing what God says in our own eyes. You know, this type of excuses people have today. We're not doing this and that, therefore they won't be part of it. Brethren, you do your share. You do your part. Let God change it. Let God handle it. That's, to me, it's the most important lessons we can all, all learn. Let God handle it. If we are not doing something which we are, we are supposed to be doing, God will see to it that we will do it in due time. But you interfere, you start doing, acting your way or just living and looking elsewhere to find what you're looking for. You're just wavering. And that's, brethren, it's what really hurts. Don't, don't really count on miracles in the sense that miracles won't really help you. Sure, now you heard about some people, a few people sick in the church. Some of them are healed. Some of them will be healed. Some of them will not be healed. But you see, a miracle is not what you're counting on to just be sure that, okay, this is the church. Okay, my beliefs are right. That's not the way to go. God knows whom to heal, heal and whom not to heal. That's his prerogative. You stick to what you know is right, you pray for the person, and you let God handle it. If in the church of God, again, that's Mr. Medic will tell you, we heard Mr. used to hear Mr. Armstrong saying, look, if something I'm doing is wrong, please don't be angry with me. Take it to God. If it's wrong, God will take care of me. God will change it, not you. Brethren, you turn it against authority, you're in trouble. No matter what your attitude is, you're in the wrong attitude. If there's something to be changed, and I'm sure there are many things to be changed, God will do it through His power. Change in your life whatever you can change in your power. If it's not in your power, let those over you change it. Above all things, let God change it. Then you are on safe ground. Then you won't be wavering. See, brethren, those are the things that some of us have not quite understood. Let's go back to Daniel again. It's an interesting story. To me, it's the story of just those three Hebrews is fascinating. Time and again, I go back to it because I have a problem I don't see the answer. I see, let's say, the end will be... I said, well, I'm sure God will help. But then I said, well, suppose it doesn't. Am I going to turn my back to God? No. Because as the, the three Hebrews said, even if God, if God doesn't answer, we still will know and will do what God says. How about Daniel 6? When it comes to... Actually, Daniel himself... See, look again, look at the price. Was Daniel convinced of his religion? 
Was Daniel religious from the sense of the Bible sense? Yes. Because once again he's facing here another decree. People around him were jealous of his position. They want to find something fault. You know what? They could not find anything wrong, says the Bible, except his, his religion. Um, can, you can read. So they could not find the man is fine, humanly speaking, but they could find something wrong with his religion because that is something the others will agree with him. So what happens? So the king make a decree that unless he actually worships, prays to him, to king, that he will be thrown in the lion's den. What's the, what's the price? How convinced Daniel should be to just obey or disobey this order here? See, those are extremes, but yet, yet you see the examples in the Bible. None of us, as far as I'm, I know, we have had such a challenge to face. What did Daniel do? I can see if I can just put my finger right on it. Uh, he, 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 he went to his, his room, and three times a day he tray, prayed to God, the window, windows wide open. Look at the courage. See, that's what we, are, we, 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 we need, brethren. With that type of faith, you won't be sort of a shaky. Nothing can really distract you or just turn you away from the, from, from the truth because we see those examples before us. We can see that they are true. God is always there to help. But Daniel did not budge. He was thrown in the lion's den. What happened? I guess there's so much here, but I don't want to get into all the details here. But, you know, here, there is like Daniel, for a king to fast all night is a tremendous sacrifice. He fasted all night because of that. He, liked, he wanted to save him, King Darius, but he could not find a way of saving him. So, he fasted. That was his way of praying. That was his way of sacrificing. As I said, kings had a bowl every night if you want to put it that way. So, and then he was still in the back of his mind, he was hoping that God will intervene. And you know what? His prayer, in a way, was blessed, not because God blessed him alone, but you see, in a way, he received a tremendous testimony. And because he's still hoping, as you know, next day he goes and hoping that Daniel is still alive. And says, Daniel, are you there? I'm just paraphrasing. You know the story. He says, yes, I'm here. He says, the God I worship protected me. Just like the, the, the God protected us through Hebrews. Brethren, those are miracles. True miracles. Great miracles. But we don't have to have this type of miracles necessarily to believe. In due time, we might have it. In due time, there will be tremendous miracles in God's church. I'm sure, I'm sure of that. But right now, be happy, be satisfied, be thankful for what you have. And you will not, as I said, you won't have to turn elsewhere to be convinced that you are in the right church. Don't look to criticize others. Ask what you can change yourself. And as you go with this, let's say, conviction, things will happen. Things will happen in your life to just change your own attitude. As I said, miracles alone will not do the trick to convince you. Conviction comes from God, from his word, from his spirit. I remember a case. I'm sure Mr. Madit remembers it too. We, we had one in the church. He was crippled, paralyzed. And God performed the miracle to Dick Armstrong. His prayer. He was miraculously healed. For some time he was doing fine. Then it went to his head. He began to criticize. He began to think that he was something. He didn't realize he was nothing like every one of us. Then he went back to his 
paralysis. God, God showed him, look, he gave him the chance to see, but that type of, let's say, miracle it, it does not convince you. What convinces you is to see the true meaning of religion, as we said, as we saw in James. If you have that attitude, you won't boast because God healed you or because you saw a miracle in your life. Let's continue. I was going back to Nebuchadnezzar, but see, he too, when he was actually, he saw the miracle of these three Hebrews, he says, now he says, everyone should pray the God of those three, God of Israel. Well, Nebuchadnezzar, in a way, changed his mind. I don't know the rest of the story, but I think from what I can see, he was convinced. And just remained that way, and God called him, calls him, my servant, Nebuchadnezzar. Interesting, isn't it? Right? How about in the New Testament, those who were convinced? Were the apostles convinced of Christ's teachings? Yes and no. See, they did not have the, what you have, God's spirit at the time. So, they doubted. They wanted to, they wanted to read to what God says. In fact, when Christ was facing trial, Matthew 25 and so forth, I'm just paraphrasing because it's easier to just explain to you because you can read later on. Read the way Peter and James what was their attitude when Christ was being crucified? What was their attitude when Christ said, look, I'm going to die? Oh, no, no, we won't allow you. We won't, we, we won't let this happen to you. We will be with you. That's in the Bible, you know. Let me just turn to it. See, because of the fact, this is the attitude which is fine unless you can stick to it. Unless you have God's power, God's spirit to... Keep your word. At the time, these people, the disciples of Christ, did not have God's Spirit in them. They thought they could do it on their own, but they could not do it on their own. It is only God's, God's, God's Spirit will give you that tremendous power or determination to just go on. Yeah. In uh, Matthew 26, you see, when Christ was arrested, they all said, oh no, we won't, we won't turn away from you. We'll be with you. And you know what? When the Romans, Roman soldiers came, they all fled. Now, there's a difference there between doubting and fear. Humanly speaking, they did not have the power of God, the Spirit of God, to just fight against. You and I, brethren, we have that power. God's spirit was with them, but not in them at the time. But even then, what happened? Look at the difference. Peter, when he realized what was happening, he wept bitterly. I've said this again. I guess I gave a sermon some time ago. That one sentence to me shows Peter's attitude. It means much more than you and I believe, brethren. The Bible doesn't always explain in detail the feelings, let's say, of anyone. When God says someone wept bitterly, you know that well, you can see what Peter went through. He realized, but he was not shaky, as we're talking about shaking here, but it's feared temporarily. And you know what happened? He was blessed later on. God blessed him. His, he wrote two tremendous epistles of Peter, and so much so that we can learn from him. But you see, that repentance was the key, let's say, to, for him to just understand, wake up. And you know it came to him? Again, I'm just paraphrasing because of the fact sometimes it's, I cannot see closely here. But when he, actually he was... Uh, he told Christ he won't deny him. And Christ says, but before the, the cock or the rooster sings three times, you will be denying. And you know what happened? When the rooster did 
actually crawled three times. Christ looked at him. That's what the Bible says again. I wonder what Peter felt at that moment. You know, those are the things we don't need. I mean, we don't think about. That shook him. Then after the course, he went bitterly. It's quite different, of course, as you know, from repentance of Judas. Judas too repented. There were 12 of them. They said, we won't leave you. And Judas was one of them. But Judas repented differently. He hung years. He hung himself. You know what's one crime, another crime equals no crime in his, in his way of reasoning. Brethren, where are we today? Today, God's church has become diversified, divided. Everyone seems to have his own ideas, thinking this is the right. Yet, it is so simple if we went back to the Bible. And let God, the Bible show us what is true religion. Where is God? What's God doing? The things some of us consider as being important are so little important before, in God's eyes. You know, for instance, let's go to Luke chapter 17. This too is a secret as to how not to be wavering. Here we have in Luke 16... A very interesting example. It shows, in a way, human weakness. Because all of us, especially in this country, we are so blessed. We have, we have so much. I say time and again, every time I had passed in the past, visited poorer countries, I've come back with, with much more, shall I say, determination, conviction, to, fit, to do the job, because I saw people, what little they had, and how much thankful they are. Compared to what richer countries, like this, we have, and how little thankful we are. I told you this story, which, you know, there are things in your life you don't forget. It just stick there. And when I, let's say, am a little bit, not doubtful, but sort of a, should I say down, let's say, humanly speaking, I remember those experiences. One day, as I mentioned some time ago to you, I came back from Haiti. And they gave me a piece of steak I couldn't even chew. But I know that people who offered that steak to me, they had to work a whole month practically to be able to afford it. And they were so proud they could do that. Then I said, I just look at them, I just, you know, tears in my eyes. They said, Mr. Apartheid, aren't we blessed? Look at this, aren't we blessed? The blessing is not what they offered to me as meat. You couldn't even chew. The blessing was they were so happy because they could understand the Bible. Because they saw there was a future. They believed in that future. They were waiting for the day when all of us, Americans or Haitians, would be one and prosperous in God's eyes. See, those people were closer to God than some of us are today. And then afterwards, when I returned through Switzerland, you should have seen, I've mentioned this before, but as I said, sometimes they helped me to re recall those things. I came, it was a tremendous table of abundance. I said, wow. I came from one little tough steak here. We have everything on the table. And I remember what Haitian said, we are blessed. I said to the Swiss people, you are blessed, aren't you? The answer was, we cannot complain. We can't complain. There we are. That's the attitude. That's the attitude that some of us have, and which will make us be wavering, like the wave of the sea. Luke chapter 17. And that's what we're talking about here because Christ gives an example here to us so we can see, we can learn from it. Here we have Luke 17, verse 11. Very interesting example. Uh, so it happened that Christ went to Jerusalem and he passed uh, through the midst of uh, Galilee. Then he entered a certain village and then he saw there ten lepers 
The ten lepers, or of course, one and one thing. Christ told them, he says, what? What can I do? They said, Master, have mercy on us. That's natural. They are lepers, they are sick, they want to be healed. Have mercy on us. And so Christ told them, they were, don't forget, it's carnal, it's a carnal world. Christ told them to put their test, their faith to test. Go, he says, and show your, uh, go yourselves and uh, to the priest and so forth, go and wash yourself in the, well, yeah, it says go and then you'll be healed. So they were healed. What happened? Now there's only one of them, verse 15, when he saw that he was healed, only one out of ten, returned to God to, with a loud voice and glorified him. What happened to the others? There is your ungrateful attitude, which will make you wave, which will make you be uncertain of yourselves. So, Look at, again, you can see, when you read the Bible, you can see the attitudes. Look at the man, the way he came. Only one was he returned, verse uh, 15. Returned to him with a loud voice glorified God. He fell down on his face, at his feet, giving him thanks. You know, see, look at, you can, see, you can see the attitude on his knees. Brethren, with this attitude, you cannot be shaky. Do you think you can, you can tell this man, look, it didn't happen? Do you think you can let this man convince that he should be looking for another Messiah? We are getting to the point that some of us will be tested, I'm sure, more than we are today. But let me finish this one here. So Christ, verse 17, he says, when he saw, he said, what? Were there not ten who were cleansed? Where are the others? It's only found one among these ten who glorifies God, except the what? The Israelite? No. Except the foreigner. Out of this people here, the one who came back to glorify God, to thank God, was not even an Israelite. It shows where we are today. We are so spoiled. God chose the nation of Israel, but we people turned against him. And today, the same thing, look at where we are today. Among all nations, and it's true, Ephraim and Manasseh, the descendants, are the worst people. We are most blessed, and we are more sins, if you want to put it that way, including homosexuals and so forth, than anywhere else. And this is, this, this, is God, this is God's people. Because we have taken things for granted. We haven't really believed God. Well, let's come to the end of this sermon now. It's very simple. God will see to it that Satan will not touch you. Satan will not hurt you. But you have to be sure that you are not going to, to act like Jonas did. When God called him for a mission, he turned away. Sure, God can't bring you back. But be like Paul. To me, examples of Paul is fascinating in many, many ways because Paul, you know, was a man who persecuted Christians. He killed the Christians, so to speak. So here's a man God calls to the truth. And you know what? It took the 14 years for the other disciples to accept Paul among themselves. Even his own people would not accept him. They will say, oh no, he's a murderer. Well, how do you think how convinced Paul was? He could have turned away, turned back, go back to his job. He had a good job honorable position but Paul didn't and don't think that Paul was not shaken that Paul was not tested that Paul did not suffer don't don't, don't you be fooled look it says in 2 Corinthians 
When you read this thing in Second Corinthians and see what Paul went, how much he suffered, you, you can't say that no, he he didn't quite, he did not, he wasn't put to test. Uh, here, of course, he was in a way boasting himself. I don't mean boasting, but at least people were were trying to just show how much they were different from him. Paul showed that, look, he too was an Israelite. He too suffered. He too was tested. Second Corinthians chapter 11, uh, verse uh, 22. So he says, look, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they ministers of God? Or Christ? So am I. So you know what? He's just tested. He's, he's the man who has done so much. And he still is attacked by others. And then he shows some of the trials he went. How many of us, brethren, would go through any one of those trials and this still not be shaken? Still I say, well, God is not with us, so where is God? I will look for God somewhere else. He says, for instance, I labor this more than anyone else did. And as frequently he says, I was thrown in prison. Oftentimes he says, I was I received 40 stripes minus one because that was the end of it. After 40, he'll be almost dead. He says, three times I was was beaten, he says, with rods. And uh, I was wrecked. I've been in in the deep. He says, I'm just, again, in perils, in in waters, in robbers, in the hands of robbers, the Gentiles, all of that. And it says, many weariness, many sleepless nights, hunger, fastings. Look, I mean, it just goes on and on again. Did he waver? No. He's the man who wrote 14 epistles and he's the only apostle, believe it or not. He speaks or writes about joy than anyone else. That's right. He spoke more about joy Look at Philippians. It says, rejoice. I say, again, rejoice. Philippians 4.4. 4. See, can you really go through this thing? It says, rejoice. I say to you again, rejoice. Thank God. He says, you know, he's in Thessalonians, he says, look, pray. Thank, be thankful to God in all things. Look at those statements. That, that's what we need today in the church. And that's what some of us have sort of lost. That type of eagerness, that type of zeal. It's not late. It's never late. So long as we turn to God. How about Stephen? You know, you want proofs that you have to be strong to stay close to God. God will help you. God helped Paul through all these trials. God helped Stephen. Look, Stephen was a deacon. And Stephen, when God called him, made a tremendous testimony to the people. He told people their sins. He was courageous enough to tell people their sins, even though he knew he was going to be crucified, so to speak, or stoned. Could you really, would you have this type of courage to stand up and you know that you'll be killed. Do you think he was convinced? Do you think he doubted about what he believed for? He was willing and ready to give his, his life, and he gave his life. That's where we have to come, brethren. Believe it or not. It doesn't mean that we have to, but we have to be ready for if is the case. In Acts chapter 7, so here is Stephen, or Stephen, Stephen. So <coughs> he told people what their mistakes was, their, how, how wrong they were, and so forth. Again, I'm paraphrasing. And then when the people heard this thing, they were just very angry at him. Then they stoned Stephen. Verse 19, Act 7. And they stoned him. And uh, 
they tore his clothes and so forth. And then what? He said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Look at this, look at the attitude. Brethren, this type of conviction, we need it. We don't have to go through the same sufferings, but those examples are before us so we can know how to be convinced and not be shaken, not be wavering. But you know what? Verse 20 is one verse perhaps we go over. He was able, Stephen was able to say that and, and know that God will listen to because he says, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. In other words, he forgave. Christ forgave on the cross. Stephen forgave on the cross. If we don't have this forgiving attitude, you won't have, let's say, the blessings you are expecting to have. So, brethren, where are we today? Today we have, we have come to an age where, frankly speaking, I personally, I just wonder how long we still have. We waited long ago. We, we thought the end would come some 20, 30 years ago. It didn't. And we speculated perhaps maybe it will come 10 years later. It didn't. Now you hear us speak about 10, 15, 20 years. We don't know. But one thing is sure, brethren, if we are on strong footing, if we have God, his, speech, his, his teachings, the faith he gives us through his spirit, nothing can shake us. Unless we have this type of an attitude, I tell you, we will never understand what true religion is. You read it. I showed it to you. So what James says in James chapter 1, James repeat again in chapter 4, and let's close it with it, because James was the brother of Christ. James shows us what faith is, what faith does. James did not claim any, let's say, favors because he was the brother of Christ. But James shows us what true religion is. Let's go back and then how to get kept close to God how to respect God's commandments, how to obey God, but above all things understand what true religion is. And there's only one way you can get it. It's one way you can keep, let's say that, close to God. So James chapter 4. James chapter 4, verse uh, 3. Uh, here we are. Page 6. James chapter 4, verse 3. Uh, here again, translations might be different, but the, the wording is the same, the idea is the same. He uh, says, uh, I'm trying to see, okay. Well, he's actually talking to us, I want to skip that, that part of it. He comes to verse 5. So do you think that this says the scripture this says in vain that the spirit says if the spirit dwells in us and the spirit dwells in us jealously that means how much God cares about us he gives us grace therefore he says resist the proud there's the key that's one way sure key you can fight against doubting against wavering Against, you know, just saying, well, am I really in the right church? Am I really in the right place? Do I really believe what God says? He says, submit yourself to God. Resist the devil, and the devil will flee away. But brethren, this is as good a promise as you can get. There is no doubting. If you believe in this, you're on sure footing. But some of us haven't, but they just look around. It says, draw near to God and God will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, he says, you sinners. Purify your hearts. So double-minded. And then look at verse 10. That's where we started, you remember? It says, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. So brethren, 
This is true religion. This is true Christianity. This is the true way of being sure that you're on the right footing there. This is what God expects of you. If you have this type of an attitude, you and I, brethren, we will never, never waver like the wave of the sea. Then we can be thankful to God that He loves us, He helps us, and He has promised us to be in His kingdom. And one, perhaps one word again, just caution. You know, every time we think about God's kingdom and our role in God's kingdom, I personally, this is personal, a little bit sure. You know why? Because we think of God's kingdom and we're going to be kings and priests. It's true, but that's not the secret to be really Christian. We're going to be in God's kingdom as kings and priests to serve. That's one condition perhaps sometimes we don't stress enough. Sure, it's nice to be a king. What for? To, stir, to serve. To be, it's nice to be a priest. Why? What for? To serve. To serve is the key. Christ came to serve. He gave, he gave an example to serve. And let's learn that the only way we can be, shall I say, blessed by God and close to Him by this attitude of being humble and willing to serve no matter what, no matter when. This is what true religion is.